I'm so glad God is known in the Bible as the God of miracles. And the scriptures tell us that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will raise up a standard against him. One of the names of the Lord in the Bible is Adonai Nisi, meaning the Lord is my banner. Or another rendering is the Lord, my miracle. We certainly need him now. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Dart. The name of God that's used most often in the Hebrew Bible consists of four letters called the tetragrammaton. That's a Greek term meaning something written with four letters. So the name of God in Hebrew consists of four letters, yud Hey vav Hey, And this name of God is generally substituted in English Bibles with the word Lord in capital letters. Why? Because Jewish culture forbids pronunciation of God's name, although the Bible does not make such a prohibition. But for fear of desecrating the holy name, the Jewish people have built protective fences around the name of God. Jewish prayers replace the Tetragrammaton with the word Adonai, meaning Lord. And furthermore, in discussions amongst pious Orthodox Jews, the Tetragrammaton is replaced by a generic word simply meaning the name pronounced Hashem in Hebrew. While nothing in the Torah explicitly forbids speaking the name of God, Rabbinic Judaism considers it just too sacred to be uttered. The rabbis also believe that at least seven names of God are so holy that, once written, they should never be erased. These names include the Tetragrammaton as well as El Shaddai and Yah. The name Yah also forms part of the Tetragrammaton, and Yah appears as a transliteration in the books of Exodus, Isaiah, and the Psalms. Now, the Tetragrammaton, Yuhevavhe, occurs 6,828 times in the Masoretic text. In English, the words God and Lord are written by some Jews with the letter O eliminated. These hyphenations provide a way of avoiding writing out the words God or Lord in full, just in case the documents would ever be trashed, shredded, or otherwise destroyed. All of these precautions may seem tedious to Gentiles, but they display the Jews' great reverence for God. In fact, Jewish scribes go to extraordinary lengths when they produce Torah scrolls to protect the sacred names. For example, before writing out any of the divine names or titles, a scribe must first prepare himself and sanctify his work. His job is never to be done casually, and there can be no distractions. Once the scribe begins writing a sacred name, he does not stop until it's finished and he must not be interrupted, as the saying goes, even to greet a king. An arrow may not be erased. Instead, a line is drawn around a mistake to indicate that the error is canceled. And then the whole page must be put 
and a burial place for scriptures. That's how carefully the Jewish people have been guarding the word of God. And I'm so very grateful to them for that. Now, in the word of God, the Almighty is known by many compound names, such as Adonai Rapha, meaning the Lord your physician, and Adonai Roe, the Lord my shepherd. One of the compound names for God that I want to explore today is Adonai Nisi, most often translated the Lord my banner. This name was introduced by Moses in Exodus 17:15. The Lord is my banner could also be translated as the Lord my miracle. Because the word banner, ness in the Bible, is used to describe a victory banner, but it also means miracle in modern Hebrew. For example, four Hebrew letters are written on the sides of a dreadle. Those are the little spinning tops that children play with during the festival of Hanukkah. The four Hebrew letters stand for the expression, Nes Gadol Hayapo, a great miracle happened here in Jerusalem. Referring to the miracle of oil that was supernaturally replenished eight days for the temple menorah when the temple was rededicated. So in Hebrew, a nest means a miracle or a banner, an ensign. It's safe to say that all of us need a miracle from time to time, and it's important to keep our faith built up. Especially in these perilous last days, we have to be sure that our faith is strong and not weak because we never know when it's going to be tested. Now, this compound name of God, Adonai Nisi, resulted when the Israelites defeated the Amalekites who attacked them after the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. And God said in Exodus 17, 16, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. The Amalekites were a desert tribe descended from Jacob's twin brother Esau. Deuteronomy 25 in verses 17 to 18 record, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked all the stragglers when you were tired and weary. And he did not fear God. This ancient hatred is a demonic spirit which has manifested itself repeatedly through the descendants of Amalek, and it has affected many other peoples. Rabbinic literature presents Amalek as the arch enemy of the Jewish people. Today, it manifests as violent anti-Semitism. The vicious spirit of Amalek rose once again on October the 7th, which changed the world. The terrorist leaders and clerics of Hamas called for the annihilation of every Jew on earth. In fact, the Hamas charter cites the Islamic hadith or tradition that judgment day will not come until the rocks and trees cry out, O oh, Muslims, there is a Jew behind me. Come and kill him. Well, recently, my husband and I stood in the area where it's believed the Amalekites attacked Israel after they crossed the Red Sea. And we saw many hills and mountains that looked like the place where Moses sat with his weary arms being upheld by Aaron and Hur during the battle. Whenever the rod of Moses was lifted up, the Israelites prevailed. Down to this present day, this Amalekite spirit 
still wages war against God and against his anointed. Intercessors call upon the Lord our banner because the Lord promises to raise up a standard when the enemy comes in like a flood. Our nations have rejected God's boundaries and engaged in much replacement theology when it comes to the nation of Israel. And now in our own generation, Israel has become the dividing line. People and nations are either for or against God's nation Israel. The battle for the very existence of the Jewish state will continue until Jesus returns and intervenes. The American Center for Law and Justice reports that due to the recent Gaza War, the International Criminal Court in The Hague is investigating Israel, not Hamas, for alleged war crimes. The International Criminal Court's bias against Israel is blatant. Hamas provoked the war by butchering innocent Israelis in the most vile and evil ways possible. Yet it is Israel that faces a legal onslaught. Well, as with other compound names of the Lord, it's important to look at the context of Adonai Nisi, the Lord my banner, or the Lord my miracle. In the wilderness, where many believe this took place in northwest Saudi Arabia, the Lord had instructed Moses to strike the rock for water with his rod. Bear in mind that this was the same staff that Moses used to strike the Nile River to turn it to blood as a judgment. The rod was a symbol of authority. It was the tool used by shepherds to correct and guide their flocks. As we learn in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And verse 4 says, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Moses' rod is mentioned in Exodus 4.2, while he tended his sheep in the land of Midian, where he had run from Pharaoh. And in Exodus 4.20, it became his symbol of authority. The rods of both Moses and his brother Aaron were used as visible instruments of God's miraculous power during the plagues of Egypt. And God also commanded Moses to raise his rod over the Red Sea to depart it. Then in Exodus 17, when the children of Israel were attacked by the Amalekites, this was Israel's first war for survival after the Exodus. And Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. And I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hands. Moses knew that when he stretched out that rod, the Lord would be with them. Otherwise, think how vulnerable they were marching through this barren wilderness with the children, the women, and the livestock. So with his rod outstretched to the Lord, Moses stayed on the hilltop as chief intercessor, while below Joshua led the army in the battle. Moses' struggle tells us a lot about the principle and power of prayer. As long as he held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites prevailed. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. When Moses grew weary, along came the ministry of helps, two men, Aaron and Hur, who helped to hold up his arms while Moses sat down on a rock. Thank God for the ministry of helps. 
They did this until the sun went down and the Amalekites were defeated. After the victory, Exodus 17:15 records that Moses built an altar and was inspired to name it Adonai Nisi. That's the word Ness, meaning the Lord, my ensign, my banner, my miracle. Why that particular word? Well, it's a fact of history that armies marched into war with standards and insignia. The name Adonai Nisi signifies that the Lord himself is Israel's banner. He is their living miracle. When Israel's enemies fight them, they're actually fighting the Lord of miracles. Isaiah 59, 19 declares, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. One Bible commentary said that the significance of the victory was not in Moses' uplifted hands, but in the rod that was lifted up in prayer is a sign signifying the presence of God, his rod, his authority. Moses' uplifted hands also reflected an attitude of prayer. And the upraised staff was assigned to the soldiers below as well. Now, this is fascinating. The rabbis point out similarities between this verse about Adonai Nisi in Exodus 17 and Numbers chapter 21, when the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people because they had grumbled against him. And then after they repented, God commanded Moses to put a bronze snake on a pole. The word for pole here in Hebrew, again, is ness. So that when the people looked upon this pole, they would be healed. The lifting up of Moses' rod and the lifting up of Israel's eyes on the miracle pole teach us that when we keep our eyes on the Lord, He will be our ness, our miracle. This to me really preaches because Jesus himself referenced Numbers 21 concerning his sacrificial death on the cross. He made the great connection in John chapter 3, saying, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For he said, God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him, that's you, that's me. We should not perish, but have everlasting life. For Jesus said, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe has already been condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So here in this famous passage in John chapter 3, Jesus compared his cross to that pole, the ness, mentioned in Numbers 21. The cross is a ness, it's a pole, it's a miracle. It's the place where we discover the miracle of our salvation. Jesus, Yeshua, is our Savior. He's our healer. He brings miracle-working power into our lives. All of this reminded me of a testimony in my book, Miracles Among Muslims, The Jesus Visions, because it's so relevant. During the Muslim fasting month of Ramadan, a young Muslim from Indonesia experienced a dream, as so many Muslims are doing. 
He was tied to a chair with heavy, thick ropes in the dream. Then a man that he recognized as Jesus touched the ropes and they fell off his arms. Jesus said to him, go look for the pole. What pole? The young man asked, but Jesus simply reiterated, look for the pole. Well, the young man awakened from the dream, pondering the meaning, but he soon forgot about it due to the cares of this world. Two years later, again, during the Muslim fasting month, he had another dream in which Jesus asked him, why haven't you done what I asked? I told you to search for the pole. The young man asked, where is this pole and how can I find it? Jesus pointed to a hill very far away and he said, go, look for the pole. In his dream, the Muslim seemed to run for miles and finally exhausted, he came to a clearing and to his utter amazement before him stood a gigantic cross. So that was the pole the Lord had told him to find. The next day he visited his mosque and asked the leader if he knew the meaning of the dreams and the cross. The imam wisely replied, search for the truth. Then he asked, is Jesus the truth? But the imam just repeated, search for truth. The next night he dreamed again, and this time he saw a cemetery. All the graves were decorated with crosses. Suddenly the graves were open and resurrected bodies came out and rose into the sky where Jesus was waiting for them. The Muslim cried out to Jesus that he wasn't ready because he didn't have the cross. Awakening from this dream, the young man was greatly distressed. He visited a church near his village and was given a Bible. And when he opened it, the very first verse he read was John 14, 6. Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the point we're making here, just to reiterate, I think this is so rich. In the account in Numbers 21, 8, when Moses raised the brazen serpent on a pole, the word translated as pole is the same Hebrew word translated as ensign, flag, and miracle. Those who looked on the serpent attached to that pole were healed. And that was a biblical preview of the cross of Jesus, where he became a curse for us. And by his stripes, by his wounds, we are forgiven and healed when we look by faith to him. Jesus' cross heals us of Satan's bite, the poison of sin. So the pole, a nest in the Torah throughout the Bible, is a sign of our miracle-working God. Moses overcame enemies with his rod, and Jesus overcame Satan with his cross. In fact, Jesus died as the Lamb of God on the cross, and he was lifted up as the Lord our banner, the Lord our miracle. His resurrection declared his victory over death and victory over this satanic realm. The resurrection was God's flag proclaiming the victory standard that would draw people to the kingdom of God. Well, in the scriptures, a flag or standard was usually raised on a hill or mountain around which people gathered in unity of purpose or identity. Each of the 12 tribes of Israel had their own tribal standards. In ancient times, an ensign served as a rallying point for soldiers in battle. 
Isaiah 5:26 declared prophetically that God will lift up a banner to the nations from far and he will whistle for them from the ends of the earth. Behold, they will come speedily and swiftly. It's happening even as I speak. Also, Isaiah 11, 11 is highly prophetic, proclaiming that God will set up an ensign for the nations to assemble the outcast of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. And every week, more and more Jewish people are returning to Israel. Today, Israel's flag with its Star of David is the rallying point for Jews from all over the world. And Jerusalem's flag is a banner of the Lord as by contrast, we witness the insidious increase of anti-Semitism once again. The psalmist said in Psalm 20 that the raising of a flag or banner is a declaration of victory over the enemy. The Jews raised their flag after the War of Independence in 1948 and after their victorious Six-Day War in 1967 when they reclaimed their capital, Jerusalem. An important prophetic word is from Isaiah 49:22. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and set up my standard to the peoples, and they will bring your sons in their bosom, and your daughters will be carried on their shoulders. This verse is being fulfilled in our lifetime as we see Jewish people coming home to Israel, often with the assistance of evangelical believers. Also, the lost tribes, which are not lost to God, are being found in returning back to Israel. God is simply raising up a banner for all the tribes to come home. Meanwhile, the hope of every believer is the second coming of Jesus. You see, the composition of the church is unique. The church was born on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and finally at the rapture, the number in the church will be complete and the church will be evacuated from the earth. Then it will be God's set time to redeem Israel. We're living in a time of transition from the church age to the redemption of Israel. So we have to be sure that we're watchmen on the walls and that we are absorbing everything that God is showing us prophetically. May I ask, have you renewed your mind today? Well, how do we do that? By reading this word and allowing it to wash over and renew our minds. Divine health requires a constant renewing of our minds, cleansing our minds from doubt and unbelief. By rehearsing God's faithful promises and by continually appropriating the Lord's atonement. His atonement on that miracle pole includes not only forgiveness of sins, but also healing of diseases. Let that sink in and please don't dismiss its power. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then we'll be able to test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's declare today, I will be transformed. I will be transfigured. I will be a new person with new habits through the renewing of my mind. Amen. Well, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, there are numerous accounts of Jesus as our miracle worker. Take, for example, his feeding of the multitudes with five loaves and two fish. 
When the crowds who were following Jesus became hungry, his disciples suggested that Jesus should just dismiss the people. The disciples' solution was to send them away, to go home or to find something to eat. Their plan limited God. They were unable at that point to imagine the possibility of a miracle. Let's not forfeit a miracle because our God is well able to perform any one for us. Our situation may look dire today, but the Lord, our miracle, will somehow, some way, work it out for us. We just have to learn to know Him. And when we know His character, then we can surely trust Him moment by moment. The miracle of feeding the multitudes is recorded in the Gospels to remind us that we can look to the Lord, our miracle worker, to help us, to supply for us in our time of need. God just wants to encourage us to step out and to use what little we have, even if it's a couple of loaves and fish, and then he will multiply what we have. The wonderful thing about prayer is that when we pray, we leave behind a world where sometimes our hands are tied and where sometimes we're not really able to do anything but pray. But then when we pray, we enter into God's infinite realm where anything is possible. So let's give all of our cares and concerns over to the Lord. I pray God will move in his mercy mightily and dramatically as only he can do in your life today and show you his goodness this week. Now, Heavenly Father, we pray for those who are sick or hurting right now. Lord, our miracle worker, in the name of Jesus, we pray for complete and total healing for anybody within the sound of my voice who's struggling right now. Amen. We want you to be encouraged today to know that God is a prayer answering God. Let's not get involved in battles that don't belong to us, but know this, we do have a God who fights our real battles for us. And you can continue to find help at our website, exploits.tv, which reports on healing and current and end-time events relating to the church and the nation of Israel. Also at our website, and at our Jerusalem Channel YouTube site, you'll find our library of videos 24-7. And we invite you to sign up for our weekly email alerts called Exploits, based upon Daniel 11.32, declaring that people who know their God will be strong, not weak, and we will accomplish exploits. That means we'll do the works of the Lord in the remaining time before His imminent return. Please feel free to share your thoughts with me on social media, or you can contact us on your phones or tablets through our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app. There's not time to share everything in our video program, so please check out our new Substack website, which has an extensive archive of articles that I update several times a week. Today, we leave you with Acts 3.19. Repent and turn again to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing and revival may come from the Lord. Amen. Until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Dark. Shalom and Maranatha. Fast-changing developments in Israel in the Middle East keep us busy interpreting the spiritual significance of today's headlines. The Jerusalem Channel is taking advantage of the Substack website to post developments that you need to know about.
Substack is a new kind of internet outlet for in-depth reporting and analysis that's completely uncensored and allows me to share insightful articles at all times of day and night. This is Christian journalism as it should be. We invite you to check out my Substack pages and find an understanding of Israel and Bible prophecy from my perspective. Just go to christinedarg.substack.com and be a part of our community. You'll also find an archive of all my articles. That's christinedarg.substack.com. Let's share what God is doing in these last days together.